Well, this morning, if you would open up in your Bibles, we're going to be over in Luke chapter 13. This is a story we've covered a few times in the past. I think the last time it looked like it was not quite four years ago we were in on this one. In fact, I took many of the things from the same outline we had before, but we're going to be looking at this for an entirely different purpose than what we had looked at this in the time before. So we're going to be over in Luke chapter 13. We're going to begin when we do at verse 1. But in August of 1994, there was a Korean air jet that skidded across the rain-soaked runway and crashed into an embankment. All of the passengers, I think there's 160 passengers altogether, all the passengers got out safely. And as soon as they exited, the last one exited, shortly after that, the entire plane burst into flames. And you wonder, what causes a tragic accident like that? What, uh, what was it? Was somebody on the passengers list? Were they missing God? What, what is it that causes a great tra- uh, accident like that? Well, they had done some research and they found out what caused the accident. And apparently, up in the cockpit, as they were getting ready to land, there was a fist fight that broke out between the pilot and the co-pilot. Apparently, they were fighting over who was going to land the plane. When we hear tragedy happen, when we hear bad things happen, it sure helps us to know why it happened, doesn't it? Kind of helps us to know, why did that actually go on? And what exactly uh, happened that, to cause that sort of thing? And I was meditating on this as we were, you know, we had a, if you're on the, the text prayer chain, if, if you're not, you know, you can certainly be on there. We, we want you to be on there. But... Uh, we had that, that opened up and we were sending out a few things because some people went into the hospital this week. And uh, sometimes it can be a, a great concern for us when, when those kind of things go on. And what happens when we hear about people, and just because somebody went in the hospital does not mean they miss God. There can be all kinds of things that go on with that and don't try and, and figure that out. But when you, when you hear about that, how many you, you heard about things, you know, tragedy happens to, to somebody. Somebody died before they were supposed to. Brother Jordan talked about his uh, cousin who passed away way too early. Way too early. That certainly was, was a sad thing to, to hear. We don't, we don't like to hear about those. We want people to be able to live out their, their lives and be able to do things. And, um, you know, sometimes we, we hear about people, you know, even just uh, they have heart attacks. Angela had a, had a heart attack, was in the ho- doing remarkably well. We went in there. She's having a conversation with all sorts of folks sitting up in the bed. And we're thinking, did you just have a heart attack last night? <laughs> She's just doing remarkably well with all that. But sometimes, you know, you, you think about these, these situations. Uh, you, you know, um, I, I like to run. And running is supposed to be a good thing for your heart. And just about any time I've been to the doctors and things like that, they always talk about, you know, with the condition of my heart that it's in pretty good shape. But every once in a while, you get a report of someone who's a big runner dying of a heart attack. Let me tell you something. Just because you exercise, run, walk, whatever it might be, does not mean you'll never have a heart attack. <laughs> your, your faith and confidence cannot be in, in those kind of things. But what happens sometimes is, uh, now I'm not saying this of my wife or, or family. No one has ever done this. But if you, you have a, a, a somebody who's, who does a lot of exercise, likes to run a lot, and they have a heart attack, they don't come to me and say, oh, you better stop that because so-and-so just got a heart attack. And, and you, you know, you might. But you all know that these things can sometimes produce fear. Have you ever heard of, of dangerous things, uh, tragic things that have happened? Has it ever produced fear on the inside of you? Oh, what if that happens to me? What if that could go on with me? I have a similar situation to so-and-so, and this happened to them. Can this happen to me? And we can get scared, and we get fearful about this. <clears throat> so, you know, the best thing to do when you have questions like that is to ask God. And so I was out doing my, doing my thing. You know, I like to, my thing is I like to run, and sometimes when I'm running, God shows me some things about these things. So he showed me some things about this that, to help you out with that. And so we're going to work on, on getting into some of these, these things. But just to review, remember the shield of faith combats fear, not symptoms. Your faith is not equipped to battle symptoms. It's equipped to battle fear. The fiery darts of the enemy are fears that he puts on the inside of thoughts that he does on the in your head. We looked at the man with the withered hand, withered hand last week. He didn't come for healing. He just showed up at the synagogue because that's what he does. He shows up at the synagogue. He has done so for a number of years. He didn't come on that day looking for a healing. Jesus had to call him out to stand up in the midst of all the things that were going on. 
And he did. And he received a healing. We saw, and this is not just in this situation, but in many situations, that our routine can produce good things. Our routine can produce good things. If we follow a routine, and we looked at the woman with the issue of blood too. She had a routine. Her routine was when she heard of a doctor that had another way to treat her condition, she had faith for it, she believed it, and then she invested in it. And it said that she spent all that she had investing in these doctors. And she was no better, but rather, the Word of God says, she grew worse. But when she heard about Jesus, what did she do? She had faith in Jesus. I'm sure there was lots of relatives saying, don't bother having faith for this. You tried everything else. Stop. And they tried to talk her out of it. But she didn't. She wasn't going to be talked out of it because she had a routine. Then when she heard about a new way to treat her condition, she would have faith for it. She would believe and she would invest. That was her routine. That routine, because she was doing that, brought her a great healing. Jesus said to her, daughter, your faith has made you whole. We see that routine can lead you into a spot to produce revelation. That revelation will cause you to have a response. If you have a faith response, you will get a huge faith return. Now, your routine can also produce ritual. If it produces a ritual, you are going to be resistant to acting on faith from revelation. So we, we saw last week, there are some good routines that you have. Hang on to them. There are some bad routines that you've got. Hang on to them. And as you are doing so, keep your faith and hope going. And look for those revelations that come so that you can act on them. Now here, Luke chapter 13, verse 1, there was present at that season someone who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And Jesus answered and said to them, same thing that many people think of today. Do you suppose that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered such things? Is this not something that's in our framework that if something bad happens to people, if something bad happens to me, it's a result of something bad. I did something wrong. I missed God. I stepped out. So forth. If something bad happened to me, it's the result of me doing something bad. So Jesus says, do you suppose that they were worse sinners than other Galileans because they suffered such things? And we could be thinking, well, yeah, I'm kind of thinking that. Well, Jesus answers it. I tell you no. <laughs> but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those 18, so he goes out, he gets another story. Or those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them. Do you think they were worse sinners than all the other men who dwelt in Jerusalem? In other words, do you think that when a tower falls, it finds the most evil people and lands upon them? Mm -mm. I tell you no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. He also spoke this parable. A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard. And he came seeking fruit on it and found none. Then he said to the keeper of his vineyard, Look, for three years I have come seeking fruit on the fig tree and find none. Cut it down. Why does it rise, use up the ground? But he answered and said to him, Sir, let it alone for this year also until I dig around it and fertilize it. And if it bears fruit, well. But if not, after that you can cut it down. Well, what he's telling us is this. We got a fruit tree that's not bearing any fruit. It's got no no fruit on it at all. And what kind of a tree was it? Fig. It was a fig tree. What does a fig tree represent when Jesus talks about fig trees? Every time Jesus uses a fig tree, he's always representing the same thing. Israel in an unproductive state. Always. There's never a time he does not talk about Israel as a fig tree that is not in an unproductive state. When he talks about Israel in a productive state, what does he call them? The vine. The vine or the fig tree? Fig tree unproductive, vine productive. Go through the Word of God yourself and find out. But that's how it is. So we got this unproductive fig tree. Cut it down. Why does it rise up from the ground? But he answered and said to him, Sir, let it alone this year also until I dig around and fertilize it. So the reason that the fig tree is going to last another year is because... Someone interceded. 
Isn't that right? Didn't somebody come and intercede on the behalf of the fig tree to the owner of the vineyard? Now that, he didn't buy a whole lot of time, he bought a year. Give me a year, let's give it some uh, treatment here, see how we do. And if it doesn't work after that, then cut it down. So we, he got some time. Now Jesus is dealing, dealing with a couple of assumptions here. First assumption was bad things happen to bad people. That's generally an assumption that, that we have. Because of that assumption, when bad things don't happen to bad people, we think God's sleeping on the job. God's not uh, doing the things that he should be doing. Because we think that bad things should happen to bad people. Second assumption is bad things haven't happened to me, so I'm good. <laughs> right? The tower didn't fall on me, so I must be okay. And Jesus is saying, uh-uh. Just because that tower didn't fall on you does not mean you're okay. If you need to repent, you better repent. Don't have that assumption. The third assumption was because God is righteous, He always judges, judges sin immediately. And this teaches you that He does not because the fig tree was unproductive. And He says, alright, I'm not going to judge it because an intercessor stood in the gap and said, let's, let's uh, work with it for another year. The fourth assumption, Jerusalem as a nation is fruitful, though it may have some bad apples in it. And the nation is not fruitful. Jesus, by using this parable, is saying you are not fruitful. Of course, we had the other examples of the fig tree that it's um, that is not fruitful. Verse 10. Now he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, and behold, there was a woman who had a spirit of infirmity 18 years and was bent over. And could in no way raise herself up. Can you imagine going around, walking around bent over? Not able to stand straight up. And then walking. Wherever you had to go, you were going, but you're, you're bent over. How far over, I don't know. But it, you know, it wasn't just a little bit of a lean. It was, you know, you're way over here. Maybe even had a cane to help support. But she's bent over. All the time that you're, you're walking, you're just in that bent over state. That can't be good, right? So there was a woman who had a spirit of infirmity 18 years and was bent over and could in no way rise herself up. Now, why was this woman in the presence of Jesus? Because Jesus was in the synagogue on the Sabbath. This is when people came. They had a routine. Showed them up. You showed up on the Sabbath. Doesn't say she came for healing. Doesn't say that she came and asked for healing. Says that she came in. And the Word of God says she had a spirit of infirmity on her for 18, 18 years. But when Jesus saw her, he called her to him, just like he did with the, the man last week. He called her to him and said to her, Woman, you are loosed from your infirmity. And he laid hands, his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. So she's leaning over. He says to her, woman, you are loosed from your infirmity. And then he comes over and lays hands on her. I don't know if he took her physically and began to straighten her up, if she did that on her own. But if she's healed, the only way that you would know that is if her posture changed. And immediately she was made straight and glorified God. So either she made herself straight, Jesus straightened her out, something happened. But she was made straight. She glorified God. But the ruler of the synagogue answered with indignation. Now, how many of you, if you had a synagogue, if you had a church, and somebody came on in and freed somebody who for 18 years has been in your synagogue, bent over, and no one could do anything about it, and he came in and took care of that, how many of you would be happy? How many of you would be calling up the papers? Hey, we had a miracle here. We want you all to know, tell people they need to come out to the synagogue because we just had a miracle here and someone who was bound up for 18 years. Wouldn't that be a better reaction? What's he do? Because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath. He said to the crowd, there are six days in which men ought to work. Therefore, come and be healed on them, not on the Sabbath day. Now, this is kind of crazy because if you are the ruler of the synagogue, I cannot imagine that your job is not to get people to come to the synagogue. I mean, could you, can you think of being the ruler of the synagogue and not having as part of your responsibility to get people to come to the synagogue? Well, nothing draws people out to the synagogue more than miracles. So you had a miracle. So instead of promoting the miracle, 
or encouraging people to come for more miracles. He says, y'all, stop coming to the synagogue on the Sabbath for miracles. He doesn't say this to Jesus. He says it to the people. Because he knows what Jesus would say. So he's trying to get all the people, stop coming. for. Does this not seem stupid to you? Sure seems stupid to me. There are six days in which men ought to work. Therefore, come and be healed on them. I'm sure he's real concerned about Jesus working on the Sabbath day, right? You can't, can't you just hear that in his voice? He's just so concerned. Then the Lord answered him and said, hypocrite. Not a good word to use for the ruler of the synagogue. Hypocrite. Does not each one of you on the Sabbath loose his ox or his donkey from the stall and lead it away to water? Don't you simply, I mean, the donkey is bound to wherever it is. You can't go over and get some water. You don't they need water every day. So you loose the donkey, take it over to where the water is, let the donkey get some water, take it on back to where it was, tie it up so it doesn't wander away. Don't you all do that on Sunday? How much more should we be doing this for this lady? Now, Jesus says that this woman was in Satan's bondage. Bound by Satan. She didn't want it, did she? No, she didn't, she didn't want to be bound to this thing. God didn't want it. Well, how do you know that? Because God healed her. If God healed her, why would he be wanting this? So she didn't want it. God didn't want it. But there was no change until someone acted against it. You've got to act against some of these things. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 1, And when he had called unto him his twelve disciples, he gave them power against unclean spirits to cast them out, to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. In other words, he authorized them to come against stuff. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 11, Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand an evil day and having done all to stand. Now, we all know that scripture quite well. We can probably quote it. And yet, when we have a problem, what do we fight? People. Why? Well, if the enemy can get you to fight against the wrong thing, he's going to keep you bound. So this woman was bound for 18 years. Now, Jesus says she was bound with the spirit of infirmity. The devil had her bound. Do you think that for 18 years, anyone ever said that to her? Most of them are probably saying, well, we pray that God would heal you of this thing. They're all working on God's side. If you fight the wrong battle, you won't win. Now, look at some of the reasons that Jesus came to earth. Why did he become a man? So he came to Nazareth. In Luke chapter 4, verse 16, so he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, as his what? Custom. Means Jesus had a routine. routine, didn't he? I'll tell you, did anybody do any more thought on that? Do you know how many people in the word of God had routines? We're going to be in the end times class today after, after service. Does not Daniel have a routine? Was that routine not attacked? Was, that, was not that routine made, were we not made aware of that routine in the Word of God? We got some good routines going on. We got some bad routines going on. You need to identify them, preserve the good ones, and get rid of the bad ones. You'll make your life better. The enemy wants to get rid of your good routines and keep your bad ones. Do you understand that your, your life down here is a huge battle in that area? It don't go far for you. As his custom was. He went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. Now, what I am told from folks who, who know the Jewish traditions more so, is that you don't, the Jewish folks back here, they don't have a copy of the Bible. You can't go home and just read the Bible. It's on big scrolls. They're expensive. They're rare. And so they have them at the synagogue. So what that would happen was you would come into the synagogue and they would have a reading. And so what you would do is you would read the section of scripture. And then the next day or the next time you would get, you would read another section of scripture and they would mark it. But this, this way, as you continue to show up at synagogue, you kept hearing all of the word of God. 
This is what they were doing. And so when they come and they hand Jesus a scroll, it is already at the place he's supposed to read. But look at what it says about Jesus. This is why this is made note of here. The folks who know the routine know what's going on. He got a revelation about this and we need to break this routine. I need to go after the revelation. And so it says, and when he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah... And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. It means he went to a different spot than the place he was handed. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He also changed a few of these words. Because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then he closed the book. And gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your healing. Now there's several reasons why they're all fixed on him. Because first off, he changed just a few of the words. The second thing is he stopped in the middle. When they read this, they always read the whole thing. He stopped in the middle. Why didn't you keep going? I mean, first off, you found a different place than where we were at. And then you didn't keep going. And then he says, today the scripture is fulfilled in your healing. If, if he kept going, the second half of the prophecy was not going to be fulfilled. This part is fulfilled. And so that's what he's telling them. Because Messiah's ministry was divided into two parts. But people didn't realize that before. They thought it was all one ministry, but he said he's coming the first time as a lamb. He's coming the second time as a lion. He's coming the first time as a sacrifice. He's coming the second time as the king. They saw it all as one thing, and they just focused on the king. And they weren't too happy about all these things that he was proclaiming about himself. Now, in John chapter 10, verse 10, it says this. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. Now, we all know that scripture, the purpose of the thief. I have this in some of my notes on, on this thing. I didn't make the note as to where I got it from. This is not mine. This is somebody else's. It sounds like Rick Renner. So I'm going to say it probably was him. But I'm not exactly sure. But more than likely, this, is, this has Rick Renner's signature all over so it probably came from him because I put quotes on it. I just didn't write down. I don't know why. I just didn't write down where I got it from. It could be translated. That verse, that one verse could be translated this way. The thief wants to get his hands into every good thing in your life. In fact, this pickpocket is looking for any opportunity to wiggle his way so deeply into your personal affairs that he can walk off with everything you hold precious and dear. And that's not all. When he's finished stealing all your goods and possessions, he'll take, his, he'll take his plan to rob you blind to the next level. He'll create conditions and situations so horrible that you'll see no way to solve the problem except to sacrifice everything that remains from his previous attacks. The goal of this thief is to totally waste and devastate your life. If nothing stops him, he'll leave you insolvent flat broke and cleaned out in every area of your life you'll end up feeling as if you are finished and out of business make no mistake the enemy's ultimate aim is to obliterate you my wife says that's rick too yeah i just hear rick all over that that's just the <laughs> that's just the way he expounds things now this woman the enemy is trying to steal from her has already stolen from her for 18 years has taken things from her. She is in God's house right now. As far as we know, she's been coming to God's house. This is not a first time thing for her. She's been coming to God's house. Location didn't change anything. Sometimes we want to, we feel like our location ought to change something. Location didn't change anything for her. And you all know this one. Need didn't change anything. You can have all the needs you want. Doesn't mean you have any answers. Goodness didn't change anything anything there's nothing in here about how good or not good she is in fact this, the scriptures previous said just because you're here doesn't mean you're good just because people died and went on doesn't mean they're bad 
So location didn't change anything. Need didn't change anything. Goodness didn't change anything. Faith changes anything. That's what we need to have is faith. So in verse 16, Luke chapter 13 again. So I'm not this woman being a daughter of Abraham who Satan has bound. Think of it for 18 years. Be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath. Now, I get the under my understanding from how Jesus phrases this is that Jesus is a little frustrated that she's been under this for 18 years. Because you look at this. Think of it. Come on, guys. Think about this. 18 years she's been under this. Do you get the idea that Jesus would have liked to have seen her out of this sooner? And when he said these things, all his adversaries, adversaries were, were put to shame. And all the multitude rejoiced for all the glorious things that were done by him. Except the, the adversaries, they're not so happy. They're kind of mad about because he put them to shame. But all the people who are receiving, they're happy. We've got to understand some things about this, this woman in this situation that had gone on. That she was bound, but didn't have to be. But someone had to act against the bonds that she was under. And until someone acted against the bond that she was under, the one with the issue of blood, all the years that she had that, someone had to act against it. Now, she ended up being the one. She heard about Jesus, and she came up with a plan, and she acted against it, and it was gone. The, the man with the withered hand had it for a number of years. He was injured on the job, as far as we can tell. He was bound and that he could not do all the things that he wanted to do. Jesus came along and broke that, that bond. Broke that bondage. But the, the, when, the man with the withered hand, he's showing up at church. As far as we know, the woman with the issue of blood, she was probably in synagogue. We don't have her going to synagogue. But as far as we, we can tell, she probably was. This woman's going to synagogue, going to church. Going to church didn't help any of them out. But they all had something that God wanted them to be free of. Now, the woman with the issue of blood, she had a routine that had not produced anything good for her yet. But it set the stage that when Revelation came, she was able to act on it. The man with the withered hand had a routine that set the stage. And when Jesus came in, he was able to receive. Routines are good. Routines will help you. There are good routines and there are bad routines. You have to identify which ones are good. Don't listen to other people. Other people are going to come up and they're going to tell you that you have some routines that are not good. Now, how many of you, some of you, like, we, we guys, we've never been in this place, but some of you ladies, you've been pregnant. When you're pregnant and your body craves a particular food, sometimes that food is outside of the routine foods that you normally get. But your body is craving that thing. You've got, you've got a revelation. I need whatever it might be. I don't know, whatever item was there that you'd like to, you know, it's, who knows what it is. But there's, you have a revelation. I need to get this. What that is, is your body, I've been told scientists anyway, doctors, things like that, is that your body needs certain nutritional things for that baby, and it knows what foods have it. Isn't that amazing? And so it will develop a craving for those particular foods. Now some of the ones that I've been more familiar with. Things like pickles. I don't know what thing that pickles have. That the other ones don't. I, I don't know. But I've heard ladies. You know they, they desire pickles. You know. And if the, the wife craves pickles. And she's pregnant. What's the husband going to be going out and getting? Ice cream. <laughs> Ice cream. Well, whatever it might be, you know, they're usually odd foods. They're usually things that you don't necessarily have around the house. But your, your body is craving those things. And you just know, if you have a pregnant wife, your routine will be emergency stops at the store to pick up the thing that we're missing. And you go out there and you get it, and the, the woman will eat all those things up, and, and then we're on to another craving down the road after, after that. But it's good. It's a, it's, a, it's a good thing. The body is craving these particular things and you, you need to, to get out there to, to satisfy it. Identify those good routines. That routine is helping you supply 
what that baby needs. And so you go after and you, and you do that. There are other kind of routines that we have. Some of you have a routine of, of reading the Bible every day. It's a good routine. We have a reading program we do here. Get involved with, in that kind of thing. Keep reading the Bible. You don't do more than just the one chapter. But get out there and, and be doing some of these. These things are promoting good things. Now, some of the things that we do in our routine promote our spirit. Some of the things we do in our routine promote our body. And these are good. Some of them promote your soul, your mind. These are good things to do. There are routines that will benefit all three aspects of who you are. And you want to continue to go out there and to, and to do those things. But things will, will, some stuff will happen to try and keep you from doing the routine. Look at your body. You're trying to do something for your body to build up your body. And don't things come against you in that area. You're trying to do something better on your diet. You're trying to do something better in the area of exercise. And then things come along to try and get you to stop the routine that you're doing. Either, you know, a craving for pizza. And if you're on a diet that does not include pizza, I feel sorry for you. My diet includes pizza at least three times a week. I don't know what I call it. I'd like it to be more than, than that. I love pizza. Pizza is just one of the most complete foods that's out there. You got your grain, you got your, your dairy, you got your meat, you got your vegetables. It's all right there. I mean, it's all right there in one spot. It's just, just pizza is just a fantastic food. Food. I am so glad God invented it. We we need these. But you know, you have things that come along that try and mess with you on this, and try to stop you. Now, most of the time, what we do is we quit the routine. But there are people who go past that and stay with it. Now, some of you folks who, who decided to get better, you, improving your, your soul, your mind, and you're going to get better at your job, you went after more education. You went after more schooling. You went after more training. Was it easy? Were there things that came against you? When they came against you, what do you do when they come against you? You fight them. If you don't fight them off, then they stop you from doing the things to improve yourself and you don't become improved. You have to keep going on those particular things. Some of the things in your physical body. You want to do exercising. You want to do um, whatever kind of things do you do and you know, get your body better. Things are going to, if, you, if you picked up an exercise program, if you were going out to the gym three times a week, four times a week, things will come up. And it will hinder you from making that trip. If you're not going out to the gym, if you're doing your stuff around the house, around the, around the home, running, walking, lifting weights, bicycling, whatever it might be, things will come up to try and get you to alter your plans. Well, you're busy here. Well, you can't quite get this done. But once you establish a routine in the area of diet, once you establish a routine in the area of exercise, is it not easier to maintain that? With your children, growing the children up, when you get them in a routine, is it not easier to get them to do the things they need to do because you are in a routine? Why are we doing this? Because it's our routine. Oh, okay. <laughs> you just go on. You don't have to keep explaining why we're doing all these particular things. But sometimes things will come along and try and get you to stop. Whatever it is that gets you to stop is hindering you from growing. Because it's a good routine. You've already determined this is a good routine. This is a good thing to, to get going on. Now, I told you some of the things, you know, that you know I like to run. and But I, I sustained an injury last June to a particular muscle that's, that was hindering the, uh, the, the run a lot. I put a, a, a moratorium on me doing anything longer than a six and a half, six and three quarter. I won't, I won't go over seven, seven miles per run. That was my, I, I don't like that. I like the longer runs, but we stopped it at that point because of the, the injury that was going on here. Well, I kept doing a routine, kept having a routine. And one of the routines that I did was I took this ball that would inflict great pain upon your body. If you want one, I'll get one for you. It does. It inflicts phen phenomenal pain on your body. And so 
you roll out the different muscles and the more pain, the more good it's doing because you found a bad spot. Well, all of a sudden, you know, I've been doing this for a while. We hadn't seen a whole lot of improvement, not a whole lot of improvement. I was at the chiropractor um, a while ago and I told them, I said, I, I said, there was a change. There was a change in my body. And I said, it's exactly like a change I had earlier in the, on the other leg when I was having trouble with the, ever, anybody ever heard of an IT band? I knew you would. <laughs> I had never heard of it before until I had a problem with it. And, um, and so when I was working on that particular thing, I'm not going to describe to you what the muscle did. It was extraordinarily painful. And not just, I mean, rolling out the IT band is a painful thing. But all of a sudden, it started doing something that was very different than it had ever done before and nearly shot me through the roof. It was so incredibly painful. But once it did that, I began to notice a change. It was a good change. I never really related the two until all of a sudden I was on the other side. I was working out the same muscle that got hurt and the exact same thing happened. The exact same pattern followed and I saw the same incredible amount of pain would just surge through the body. Not all the time, but it would just you hit a spot, you hit a spot and all of a sudden the muscle would give way in a, in a certain way that it had never done before and all of a sudden it hurt to an incredible level of pain. So I stayed with it. 20, instead of 10 minutes, I'd stay with it 20, 25 minutes, trying working that thing out until every bit of pain that I could get out of it was gone. And we just kept doing that. Now, all of a sudden, I'm just about every time I'm running, I'm making a note. Hip flexor is messing with my run, <laughs> doing something. And all of a sudden, it's not an issue. I mean, I could still feel it, but it wasn't nearly as much of an issue. So I brought it up to the doc. I said, hey, this, I, I noticed this and this. And she, so she says, well, I don't know. Maybe you had some kind of a breakthrough. She didn't really know what it was. But in the last week, I broke my self-imposed moratorium on the seven-mile barrier three times. And each time felt fine. Now, there's still a little bit of issues going on with it. But, you know, that, that was something that came in that takes a good routine and tries to get us to stop it. What you need is revelation on how to continue it. Most times when we have a routine that is beneficial and the enemy attacks it, we tend to stop the routine. We stop getting the benefit that is there. Now, we're sitting here in worship today. I'm thinking about some of these things. I got a picture on this. I don't think I can develop for you today. But I got a picture on this I hadn't quite seen before. We'll get into it next week get into a, a little bit more more doing on that. But our goal here is to grow. Our goal here is to grow. The devil, we didn't get to that yet. Let me get going, going on. Well, we're going to skip on down some of those other verses. I want you to, to see this part. When, he said, when Jesus says, you have been loosed from your infirmity, the, the Greek word there means to loosen, to break up, to destroy, to dissolve, loose, melt, or put off. All those nice little words in there. That's what he's talking about when he says you are loosed. It refers to an untying or a loose, unloosening of something. It was used in classical Greek literature to refer to people being delivered, released, or freed from difficulties, burdens, or needs. In uh, 1 John 3 and verse 8, He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of Man has, was manifested, he might destroy, same word there, loosen, the works of the devil. So when it's talking about a loosening, it's also the talking about a destroying. To come in and not just free you from it, but to take it and to destroy it. This verse could be rendered this way. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might untie people from all the works of the devil, unraveling Satan's hold on them until the devil's works in people's lives are utterly destroyed and his hostages are set free. I just love the way that was, that was put. I'm going to read this for you one more time. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might untie people from all the works of the devil, unraveling Satan's hold on them until the devil's works in people's lives are utterly destroyed and his hostages are set free. I'll put this in your outline for you. In order for us to be loosed 
from what we are bound to, someone or something must come against it. It's not going to just unloosen. You've got to come against it. Picture it this way. How many have ever had a, something tied in a knot? And you start to untie the knot and something goes wrong. And now the knot is tied in a way that it just doesn't untie. And you have to struggle with it. You see this particularly with your shoes. I don't know about you. I double knot everything. I don't care if I plan on having my shoes on for 30 minutes or 13 hours. If I tie my shoes, I double knot them. Every you ever find me with shoes that have ties, you will always see they are double knotted. Now, the problem comes in with that in that if as you are untying it, if you make a wrong move and pull the wrong string, you now have a knot that does not come out easily. It can be a it can be a pain. Now, remember our purpose for why we we came out on this this part. The enemy wants to sow into your mind thoughts that bind. Thoughts that tie you to a wrong truth. He wants you to believe a lie is the truth and that the truth is a lie. He never sells you a complete lie. It's always a partial one. Go back to the beginning, Adam and Eve. Has God really said? And then he says, You shall not surely die physically, is what he's referring to. You shall not surely die. But God knows in the day that you eat of it, you shall be like him, knowing both good and evil. Now, that's not a complete lie. But it is phrased in a way to try and get you to think on a wrong outcome. We buy into the lie. We buy into the lie. Now, most of us, our goal is to grow. We want to grow. Satan has sold us on a lie that says, and a whole lot of Christians have, have bought into this lie, that your growth depends on other people receiving from you. Your growth depends on you being in a certain type of ministry. Your growth depends on you doing certain things for the kingdom of God. Those things aren't happening. You're going to grow. You're not going to grow. When people have bought into this lie or some version of it, what happens is we see people as our enemy. And people who don't let us function in the gift as we wish become our enemy. Now we're not having good thoughts about them. We're having what? We get bad thoughts to go on about it. In that environment, Satan is able to sow all types of thoughts and things. Now, this will be part of the, the, the drawing I'll be able to, to bring out to you next time. Your growth does not depend on what you give. Your growth depends on what you receive. Remember the verse of Scripture that talks about how we grow by what every joint supplies? You grow by what you receive. You grow by what you receive from the Spirit of God. You grow by what you receive from the Word of God. You grow by what you receive from the gifts God has put into the body. You grow by what you receive from all these. That's how you grow. You do not grow by giving. You don't do it. Well, I guess I won't give anymore. No, that'd be wrong. It is a good thing to give. But here's the thing. If you buy into a lie, then you cannot accept the truth. The lie is that growth comes from these other areas. Growth only comes, as far as I can tell from the word, folks, growth only comes by what you receive. When you give, you give what has been given to you, do you not? Jesus says, what you have freely received, freely give. You, you can keep on, on doing that. Look at it this way. Did Jesus give out to a lot of people? Did everybody receive it? Did what they receive ever hinder Jesus from growing? 
Did what people received from Paul hinder Paul from growing? Did what people received from Peter hinder Peter from growing? Did what people received from Moses hinder Moses from growing? We can keep on going, can't we? What you give does not change how you grow, or does not cause you to grow, nor does what people receive from what you give have any bearing on it. You are not called to change the giver into a receiver. Could Jesus get everybody to receive? No, we just read some people in this story. They're, they're not ready to receive. They're kind of blocked from that. Your giving puts you in a place to receive more. Because as you give, so you will receive. As you, as you sow, so you will reap. My giving puts me in a place to receive. There's one other aspect in this whole thing that makes the whole wheel sort of spin go around. We won't get into that this week. We'll get into that next time. I just wanted you to see this, this first part here. Don't worry if people don't receive from your gift. If you keep growing, people will not be able to stop receiving from your gift. More people are going to be there. You're still going to have those folks that just shut it off. You still have people in there who, who are going to shut it off. But here's what the enemy wants to do. He wants you to buy the lie that how people receive from you giving is changing the way you are growing. And if he gets you to buy into that lie, then he has altered God's plan so that you will cut off from receiving where you're supposed to receive from in order to put you into a place where you can give. But if you don't receive, you can't give. So what, what kind of situations? Well, he's going to get you to stop receiving from the Word of God because no one's listening to you anyway. So if you stop receiving from the Word of God because no one's listening to me, nobody at work wants to listen to the word, what I see in the Word, nobody at my home, nobody in my family, I'm just not, we, we don't pursue that, that venture anymore. Because I'm not giving, I have no need to receive. Your focus is always, God, what are you willing, what are you ready to share with me? And keep on, on going in that way. Now, it's not just teaching. It's not just the, the things in the Word. You folks who have a music cap capability, worship ministry. Does God speak to you about the area of worship? Is God giving you things in the area of worship to, to sing and to do? Well, you ought to do it. You ought to, you ought to step out and, and, and to develop those, those things. If God is giving you things in that area and you shut them down you don't you don't sing them you don't speak them out you don't then why is you're not putting yourself in a position for god to give you more well no one's receiving from me therefore i that's that's wrong that's see you got your focus on the wrong thing your focus is on the father father what do you have for me today what do you have for me today i'm ready to receive from you today i'm ready and you just receive from god but see here's what the enemy wants to try and do he wants to first off cut off your receiving he wants to secondly cut you off from a place where you can be given. And if he can do all these kind of things, he has cut off your growth. And if he cuts off your growth, it will not be long until your life changes for the worse. Think of it this way. How many of you know people that God was blessing? They were growing in the word. They were maturing in the things of the word. God was blessing them in their business, on their job. They were seeing increase in all these areas. They were seeing increase in what God was speaking to them. And all of a sudden, they got the notion, well, I don't think we ought to do it this way anymore. And they moved their routine into something different. Why? Because the enemy sowed a thought. Sometimes they'll sow it in, those folks over there, they're not receiving from you. Those folks over there, they're hindering you. They're in your way. Those folks over there, they don't like you. And he keeps sowing these particular thoughts in here. Now, here's what I got from God when I was out there running on this thing. How many of you, when you hear about somebody, you know, heart attack, some kind of a thing like that, you begin to think of your own situation, because all of y'all know we could all be doing things healthier. 
Right. We all can be doing something healthier. I could be doing a little bit more in the area of health. And how many, don't, don't use your outside hands, use your inside hands. How many of you have felt that God has spoken to you to do something in the area of your health and a fear jumps in, well, if I, maybe if I don't do that, I'll get a heart attack. I'll get high blood pressure. I'll get this kind of thing going on. <laughs> Those kind of things happen? All right, I got something that will help you out with this thing. Now, it'll be a couple of weeks until we're on this on Wednesday night. But I'm going to show you, not going to tell you right now, I'm going to show you a verse, uh, several verses actually. We're going to show you a chapter in the Bible, in the Second King series, that will prove this to you without a doubt. Without any doubt, you will see that this is, this is true in the Word. There has never been a time in the Bible that God has spoken a warning to anyone for which there was not time to respond. There is not a single time in the Word of God that He spoke a warning to the children of Israel, to kings, to people, that there was not also time to respond just in this very chapter right here in uh, in luke did not jesus say that the fig tree was unfruitful and that the intercessor came let's give it a year if it produced after the year what happens to the tree it continues on the warning is given there is time to change it there are times when it's been cut off and when we get into that part in Second Kings, you'll see it uh, for sure. But if God has given you, don't use your outside hand, use your inside hand. God has given me a warning. He's told me something to do in the area of my health. He's told me something to do in the area of my diet. He's told me something to do in the area of my thinking. He's told me something to do in the area, whatever it might be. Listen, you've got time. You have got some time to, to be able to do this. Now, the devil's going to come. He's going to try and lie. What the devil is going to do, this is how the devil does it. He is going to sow into you thoughts of what you will lose. God's promises are not about what you will lose, are they? They are about what you will. <laughs> yeah. I put this in your outline for you. If it came from God, it is a warning. And every time God gives a warning, there is time to change and avoid the outcome. Every time. If it came from Satan's kingdom... He is a liar. Some parts may be true, but the outcome is always the lie. Understand this about the devil and how he lies. Whatever outcome he is saying is the crux of the lie. Go back to the garden. You will be as gods. The outcome? You will be as God. Were they as God? No. Far from it. In fact, they fell from the place they were, which was pretty high. You will be as God. The outcome is always the lie, surrounded by some truth. How many of you all heard this? If you don't change this, your high blood pressure is going to kill you. If you don't change this, you're going to have a heart attack. You feel that pain? That's cancer. And you're going to die. Anytime the devil comes into our heads, heads, the lie is always the outcome. A lot of times there's truth in the process because you won't buy into the lie unless there's some truth. But you see, when he brings this in, it produces fear. When God comes in and gives a warning, it produces hope that you can change the outcome. It may give you a warning, this is the path that you're on. But he gives an outcome that has hope. That's what our God does. Now I put this in, I think I put this in your outline. I had to change some of it. Routine can put us in a place to receive revelation that when acted upon will produce a good change. Routine can put us in a place to receive revelation that when acted upon will produce a good change. But ritual can shut down our expectation, hope, and faith. It will knock it all out. This is the goal of the enemy. 
Your routines that are good are his problem. He's got to stop them. Because you're building a good foundation. So he is going to attack them in every way that he can. When we get into this next week, we're going to show you how he comes against this to attack it. His schemes are always the same. The word of God sheds light on them. So that if you see the scheme, you should never fall for it. But think of your life right now. There are people in your life that are good, good influencers, good people. And if you haven't been out on Wednesday nights, we looked at a couple of kings recently in which as long as they had certain people influencing them in a certain way, not just one, but a, a few, as long as they had certain people in their life influencing them in a certain way, they stayed on a good path. As soon as that was cut off, they went bad. The devil knows that if he can get you away from the good routines, from the good sources that put into you, your prosperity will disappear. Your spiritual growth will disappear. Your spiritual hunger, your ministry, your family. He will come in, and as the verse was rephrased, I think by Rick Renner, he will come in and destroy everything and steal everything that you have. But he needs you to open the door. He's got to get you to open the door. How can he do it? His tactics are always, they're always the same. I get amazed at how people fall for it anymore. But they, we, we still do. How many of you all know Christians, solid Christians from, from years back, good, strong Christians, in church, Worshiping God, love worshiping God, love growing in the things of the word who now don't even go to church at all. How did they get there? It's this exact same path. There are routines that you have that are keeping you in the good way. There are places that you serve. There are places that you minister. There are places, avenues for you to give that are helping you keep going. The devil wants to cut them off. He wants to stop them. And he works on all these things. If he can get you out of your good routines, he can get you out of your prosperity. He can get you out of your growth. He can get you out of the direction to heaven. And he will not stop until he has stolen everything he can from you. But the word of God has said, don't be ignorant of the enemy's devices. Don't be ignorant of them. Know them. Know when he is making an attack. He will make it through fear. He will make it through distrust. He will make it through unsatisfaction. He will make it through, is this really as good of a situation as you can have? Wouldn't you like to eat from all of the trees of the garden? Are you really satisfied with eating from everyone except, are you really satisfied with that? Don't you want to be able to eat from them all? And that's how he does it. Is the devil knocking at your door? If your answer is no, you're not listening. Because he is trying to knock on every one of your doors. He's trying to get in. Word of God says that you can't come into the strong man's house and steal his stuff until you first bind the strong man. And Jesus has come to set people free, to loose them, to destroy the hold that would be on them. Would y'all stand up with me? Has the enemy been coming, knocking at your door? Has the enemy been saying, hey, <laughs> is that really helping you? I think that little thing in your life is hindering you. I think you ought to let it go. I think that routine you got that's just religion. That's just bondage. You need to let it go. He is trying to get you to release the things that have brought you this far and to pick up the things that will weigh you down. Would you bow your heads with me? With every head bowed, no one looking around. If you're here today and you say, the devil's been knocking on my door. He is trying to steal some things. He's trying to put fear upon me. 
He is trying to put distrust on me. He's trying to get me to become unsettled, unsatisfied, unthankful, ungrateful, whatever it might be. He's working on trying to get something going on. No one looking around, just raise your hand up if you say, yeah, that's me. He's messing with my head. He's trying to take away stuff that is mine. All right. He's been identified. Father God, I thank you that right now you identified the work that Satan has tried to do in each one of our lives. He's trying to take stuff away that you've blessed our life with by making us think it's not a blessing. Helping us to see the bad covering up all of the good. It's so easy for us to get our focus, our eyes on the negative. Father, you have put in our lives things that are imperfect, that are here to benefit us, to grow us, and they have developed us, they have grown us. We need to keep our eyes focused on that. Every hand that was raised here, Father, I thank you that you helped them to see all that the devil is trying to unravel in their life. All that the devil has his sights set on to steal from them. Father, they will fight, fight him and not let him in. Thank you for it in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. You come back next week show you this, how to identify this entire battle, and how to stop it before it ever gets anywhere. We have some praise reports. Okay, this one is from Ray. It says, I thank God for, um, <clears throat> for treatment for Angela. It was swift, decisive, and effective. She said, I thank him for her complete recovery, no residual damage, and I thank God for my brothers and sisters here at Zoe for your prayers and well wishes. Amen. We got to see her, and she was absolutely amazing. It was like several hours after the surgery, and she's up laughing with everybody. So praise God. This one, actually, Lamar gave me last week um, as he was leaving. He says, I went to Arkansas um, to take a certified ethical <laughs> ethical hacker course for the Air Force. Um, it was a lot in two weeks. He said, I listened and did the work at night. Um, and the night before the test, he said, I felt confident. But a colonel in my class had read in an online forum, how hard the test was. Um, sometimes that's not the best thing to do. <laughs> and had changed it from version 8 to version 9. So everyone online was complaining how they failed and the test was unfair. I had disregarded that, but I woke up at 10 o'clock at night and decided to look at the forums. Fear came over me. I was talking about the spirit of fear. What if I studied the wrong stuff? What if, what if, what if? He says, the devil kept playing in my head. I had to start praying in tongues and um, go to my default 23rd Psalm. I still didn't get to sleep until about 4 a.m., but I woke up that morning refreshed, took the exam, and was done about 40 minutes before anyone else was, and I got the highest or one of the highest scores. Says, God is faithful and awesome. Do not fear. Now, that was from last week. Praise God. Amen. Um, Phyllis got a bonus. She said, I'm so privileged to be in favor, in God's favor, on my job. As um, that favor overflowed to me this week, praise God to whom all blessings flow. Amen. Praise the Lord. Um, Sharon, good to see you, Miss Sharon. I thank God I'm here and doing well, and also for all the prayers, phone calls, and support from everyone. So praise God. Amen. We're excited about what God's doing. Amen. Amen. Y'all excited? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Praise God together. Amen. Amen. No. Ethel had this word. Uh, I was thinking she was going to give this to us, but she left a little before the worship service ended. But she said, having a routine is not a bad thing. It should, this is a word she got from, from the Lord. The Lord spoke to her. It shows commitment, or in, the, or in other words, faithfulness. Do not allow the devil or the fact that you are not seeing anything in the natural tell you that you are in a rut. Keep going because things are moving in the spirit realm. Amen. More Christians are afraid of routines. We think that they're ruts. And they're really not. Hope you do some more meditating on this. There's a lot of people in some really good routines in the Word of God. And uh, we're going to be looking at one of them, which is Daniel. And that'll be here in uh, round 1, 115. We'll get started. We're ending this a little bit late. 
So uh, if it takes a little bit longer to get some lunch, bring it on back here. And um, if you brought a lunch with you, feel free to jump in the kitchen and, and eat that. But we'll start uh, right around 1 o'clock for, for that. Uh, Wednesday night, we're back over here in the, the book of Second Kings. We're not quite up to that one I was telling you about, referring to you. It'll be uh, at least a couple of weeks, I think, until we get up to that one. But we will be soon. I'll be letting you know when we, when we get there on, on that one. But if you uh, do miss them, you can uh, pick them up on the podcast. We do have a Wednesday night side on People can uh, subscribe to as well on that one. Uh, have a great rest of the day. Bless some people before you get out of here. And if you're coming on back, we're in this room around uh, 1 o'clock.